Uh, good morning and greetings from the Big Apple. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, Kevin had asked me to share my testimony with you uh, today. And uh, for those of you that don't know me or don't know my family, uh, we moved to Fort Scott when I was in seventh grade. And at that time, had been a couple moves for me, and I was a shy seventh grader uh, who was adjusting to living in Fort Scott. Um, you know, for our family, we didn't grow up in church. Um, not that we had a, something against church or anything like that, but it just wasn't part of our life and wasn't part of what we did. And uh, during my seventh grade year, uh, one of, uh, my, my, at my mom's job, someone kept inviting her to church over and over again. And uh, Karen Paddock has a lot to do uh, with our family even being at church. And uh, slowly my mom eventually went on one of those invitations, probably after the 20th time, and our family started coming to church. Uh, for me, though, uh, it was still hard. Uh, you know, as a young seventh grader, I, was, I felt very um, just nervous and shy around people, and it was a tough adjustment of that first year in Fort Scott. But after we started coming to church and I started having more and more people pour into my life from the youth minister, from uh, Kevin, and from many of you uh, over my time here, a few years later, I think a year and a half or so, I was baptized. And a few years after that, uh, my faith really exploded uh, for Jesus and what I wanted to do with my life. You know, back when I was a seventh grader, I would say I probably wanted to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer. And now, uh, looking 16 years later into the future, uh, those being a teacher, doctor, lawyer wasn't what happened. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, God's taken me uh, from here and uh, put me for the last eight years in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where I've ministered there as a youth minister. And, you know, God has just amazed me with what I've been able to do there and get to be a part of. You know, one of my teenagers this and a couple months ago just got baptized. His name is Mark. Uh, Mark grew up in a family where uh, his dad was never there. Uh, his mom was, was always there and helped raise him. She remarried to a ste his stepdad, and they have a horrible relationship. His stepdad's an atheist. And, you know, the last few years, I've got to have a lot of conversations with Mark just about what it means to believe in Jesus. And, he, you know, he struggled a lot with it because he's got friends who are Muslim, friends who are Jewish, friends who don't believe in anything. And to get to be there two months ago where he finally made that choice. It's just so amazing. You know, for me, God's placed me there and gotten me to work with, you know, young people uh, from many different backgrounds. You know, some that struggle with some big disabilities from ADHD, ADD, Asperger's, and the like. You know, one of the uh, young kids in our church I got to take out for lunch about six months ago He's a kid whose dad has never been there as well. Uh, his mom is a single mom trying to raise two kids by herself and does a waitress job. And took him out for pizza. And, you know, at the end of it, I asked him, can, what can we pray for? What, what can we pray for? And, you know, at first he said, well, let's pray for that me and my sister get more toys. You know, not exactly what I was looking for. And then I asked him again, well, who's someone that we can pray for? And he said, you know, the homeless guy that lives on my block. You know, and just uh, the joy of that, you know, looking back 16 years ago, I never would have thought God would have placed me where I am today. But the lives that I've got to touch, the people that I've gotten to meet, 
And, you know, thankfully that God has been able to use me in a lot of different ways to impact people's lives amazes me. And, and I hope for you today, uh, no matter where you are, uh, that you'll just remember that God can use you in the place that he has you. I ate lunch with Dan here a few days ago, and he was telling me about uh, that fella, the young, young man who, who said, let's pray for the homeless guy uh, down the street from me. And uh, Dan's church then, he, the rest of that story that he didn't tell, Dan's church then reached out to that homeless man and showed the love of Jesus to him. So I am so appreciative, Dan, of you being here today and giving your testimony to us. And the, and the fact that what difference Jesus has made in your life, that is also then making a difference in other people's lives. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that we have been having testimonies by different people as to how Jesus has changed them. And I, I hope and pray that that he has changed you, that he is continuing to change you, and that you will share your testimony with other people. People need to hear your testimony. And there are people out there that will have ears to hear your testimony. They want to hear what you have to say because they are seeing Jesus in you. And so let them know that it's not just because you're a good person that you are the way you are. Rather, it's Jesus in you that's making a difference in your life. Every one of us have a testimony that can impact people's lives. I, I want to take a moment just for us as a congregation to pray for Dan and Stephanie, his wife, who's sitting next to him. Pray for them and their ministry. And uh, I, I want to give you just a moment of silence that you would pray for them and then I will voice a prayer. Father, I thank you for Dan sharing his testimony today and just how you have brought him so far from those early days when he was such a young person uh, walking into our church for the first time, and he, as he said today, he was nervous and he was just really uptight about that. And and uh, Lord, what an amazing thing you've done through him and in him. I ask your blessing upon he and Stephanie and their marriage, and Lord and their ministry there in New York City. Father, may you continue to bring people his way that he can touch for you to your glory and honor. Bless their church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 12 today. I want to read to you verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, you might turn there. Acts chapter 12. Uh, keep your Bibles open throughout this sermon because we're going we're gonna to study these first 19 verses Here in this chapter, verses 1 and 2. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death 
with a sword. Now, this particular Herod that we've just read about was Herod Agrippa I. If you know your history, the Herods of the New Testament were known for their murderous ways. The first Herod that we are introduced to in the New Testament was Herod the Great. And he would have been the grandfather of the Herod here in Acts chapter 12. Herod the Great, you remember, was the king that was reigning when Jesus was born. The wise men came to him and they are asking him, do you know where the newborn king is is to be born? And and that got Herod the Great's attention. And when, when the wise men didn't come back to him to tell him of the newborn king's birth, whereabouts, he ordered that all of the baby boys in and around Bethlehem that were up to two years old, that they would be murdered. It was a terrible, terrible slaughter. And the baby Jesus, he just barely escaped with his life. The reason that he was able to escape is that when the angel in the middle of the night awakened Joseph and told him to get his family up and flee to Egypt, Joseph didn't wait around to ask questions. He simply did what the angel told him to do. He got them awakened and he got them out of the house and out of the city of Bethlehem and towards Egypt barely in time to save the Christ child's life. This same Herod functioned out of fear, always thinking that somebody was out to get his throne. If anybody even looked like they were interested in the throne, he murdered them. History tells us that he killed his wife, he killed his two sons, he killed his brother-in-law, he killed his mother-in-law, and he killed his wife's grandfather. All of those members of his family, Herod the Great, had them murdered because he thought they wanted his throne. I read this just this week when the Herod... When Herod the Great had two sons strangled, Caesar Augustus said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Wow. That's the kind of man Herod the Great was. And so it's not surprising to us that the Herods who came after him were murderers too. Herod Antipas, who somehow survived his father's jealousy and murderous ways, became king after him. And Herod Antipas is the one who was on the throne and had the head of John the Baptist removed. You remember he was living with his brother's wife and John the Baptist spoke out against us, against it. This this whole Herod family, from, from, from the beginning to the end, was just completely messed up. Herod Antipas would also have been the one who was on the throne when Pilate sent Jesus over to him. You remember, Jesus had been arrested, and Pilate had questioned him, and, and Pilate didn't quite know what to do with him. He, he didn't feel like Jesus needed to be put to death, and so to try and get him off of his hands, Pilate says, Herod's in town. Let's, let's send him over to Herod. And so Jesus went before Herod Antipas, 
Herod simply hoped to get a miracle out of him. He was, he was wanting to see tricks, but Jesus didn't cooperate with him. And any questions that Herod Antipas asked of Jesus, do you remember Jesus' response? He was just totally silent. He didn't say a word. Well, Herod didn't get what he wanted from Jesus. The text says that both Herod and his soldiers then mocked Jesus and treated him with contempt, and then they sent him back to Pilate. That was Herod Antipas. After Antipas, then, was Herod Agrippa the first, whom we have here in Acts chapter 12. And just like his predecessors, he too was a murderer. It ran in his family. He came by it through the genes. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Why? I mean, what had James done? Nothing, except the fact that he was a follower of Jesus. And verse 1 says that the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. It just seems like Herod Agrippa I, just, he kind of got it into his, his mind that, that he wanted to mistreat the church members. And so he had James put to death. James was the first of the twelve to be martyred. He would not be the last. All of them, except James's brother, John, would be martyred for their faith. It's a sad fact. Sometimes, sometimes, bad things happen to good people. Not, not because they've done anything wrong. It's just the fact that we live on a cursed earth and sometimes we fall prey to evil people. Sometimes we may be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Another fact that we don't always have an answer to is simply this. God doesn't always intervene and save us from those bad things. Now think about that. God doesn't always intervene and save us from those bad things. He didn't do that for James. I mean, James had done nothing wrong, and I am quite sure that James would have been crying out to God for mercy too, and yet God did not intervene. He did not stop Herod from killing James. But we know this, though that's true for us too. God doesn't always intervene and save us from bad things happening to us. We know this, that God is with us through the bad things and he can make all things work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Think about it. For James, this was simply his graduation into heaven. It was a bit earlier than he or anyone else might have anticipated. But for James, it was a day of victory. For James, this day was a good day. Because he was ushered into heaven. Not because he deserved it. Not because he was so good. But because he had faith in Jesus. And God's grace is sufficient to cover our sins. 
You know, it's just impossible for us to always put God in a box and have him figured out. Sometimes we don't fully understand why things happen, but we need to trust him. We need to hold on to Him and know that He is good and we know that He is in control and His plan will work out. I guess if we had God all figured out, that would mean that we were as smart as God. And I've got news for you, we're not. None of us are. Well, Herod wasn't finished with his antics. Let me read to you verses 3 and 4 of Acts chapter 12. It says, When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Herod must have thought Peter was a big catch. Four squads of soldiers to guard him? I have a footnote in my Bible that reads as follows. Four soldiers for each six-hour shift. Two were evidently chained to Peter, and then two stood guard. And so you have two soldiers each chained to a hand of Peter, and then a soldier at the, at the, at the door of the, of the prison cell, and then maybe another soldier at the outer gate of the prison. Herod wanted to keep Peter in prison for a few days just to get through the Passover time, and then they would deal with him, and I am quite sure that he was intending to kill Peter just as he had already killed James. And we're going to see, though, that God had a different plan. Look at verse 5 of chapter 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Remember what I mentioned to you last week about how important in Scripture the word but is? It's a very important word in Scripture. Just, Just last week as we were talking in chapter 11, it said that there were some who were preaching to Jews only, but... Some men from Cyrene and Cyprus had come to Antioch and they were preaching to the Greeks. So the word but is a very important word in Scripture. Last week in Sunday school, in our ABF hour, we were studying the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It it talked about how King Darius had thrown Daniel into the lion's den, but... The angel of the Lord closed the mouths of the lions. You remember the story a few chapters earlier in Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they would not bow the knee to the golden statue. What? But there was a fourth man in the fiery furnace. And he delivered them 
from the fire. Are you seeing the word but in Scripture and how important it is? Back in Exodus chapter 14, the people of Israel had come to the banks of the Red Sea and they looked behind them and they saw Pharaoh's army descending upon them. They had nowhere to go. Pharaoh's army was intending to destroy them. But God intervened and he made a passageway through the Red Sea and and the people walked through on dry ground. I think you know the rest of that story. The word but is a beautiful, beautiful word in Scripture. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. One commentary said it this way. Peter was bound, but prayer was loosed. Did you notice how the church was praying to God? What was the word used? Hmm? Fervently. The church was praying fervently to God in behalf of Peter. If you're reading from the New International Version, it uses the word earnestly. The New King James Version says that prayer for him was made to God without ceasing by the church. I get the sense that the church was taking Peter's imprisonment very seriously. They were not ho-hum about what was going on in Peter's life, nor were they ho-hum about their praying for Peter. They were praying earnestly for him. They were praying fervently for him. They are crying out to God. They are beseeching God. They are wrestling with God for Peter's deliverance. There's another time in Scripture, and I thought this was quite interesting. There's another time in Scripture that this same word is used in reference to prayer, this word fervently. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 22, verse 44? Luke 22:44. This is speaking about Jesus. It says this, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Wow. They really were taking Peter's imprisonment Seriously, in the same way that Jesus was praying fervently in the garden and sweating drops of blood, the early church had gathered at Mary's house and they were praying fervently for their brother Peter. I want to ask you a question. When is the last time you prayed fervently for something? Think, think about that. When, when is the last time you prayed fervently for something? And what were you praying fervently about? What if, what if we 
began to pray fervently about those things that really do matter. Like, like our mate's soul. Some of you come here without your mate and, and your mate is not a Christian. What if you and the rest of us together began to pray fervently for your mate's soul? Like, like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Wonder how long it would take for God to do a mighty work in your mate's soul. How about your wayward child? Maybe, maybe you've got a child that has turned away from God and living in the world. How about you praying fervently? For your wayward child. How about you asking God. Pleading with God. Begging with God. Praying fervently for that child to come back to Jesus. And what if, what if all of us together would wrestle with God over our children's soul. The way Jacob wrestled with God in the Old Testament. And he would not let go of him until he blessed him. How about this? God, my marriage. My marriage. I am not going to let go of you until you bless my marriage. How about this? Our country. God, our country needs revival. Our country needs to be awakened from their spiritual slumber. Our country needs to to see Jesus anew. God, I am not going to let go of you until you bless our country one more time and that you would awaken the church and you would awaken our country and our world. Doesn't it hurt your heart to see what's going on in our world as every week now, it seems, we turn the news on and there is a different place where there is a terrorist act and hundreds of people are killed. God, God, our world, I'm not going to let go of you, God, until you Hear my prayer and you answer. Lord, I'm praying fervently for this world. I'm praying earnestly. I'm praying unceasingly for her. Prayer makes a difference. How about if we prayed for our youth in this manner? This week, our kids from our church are in Colorado. They're in Durango, Colorado. In fact, Paul said said this morning uh, about 8.30 that he could see that they were two hours away from Durango. So maybe even as I finish preaching today, they're getting right close to their destination. And God has given them safety there. But all this week, they are going to be at the CIY conference. And we as a church ought to be praying Fervently, we ought to be praying earnestly. We ought to be wrestling with God in their behalf. And we're going to give you a chance to do that. This morning, before you leave, if you would like to become a prayer warrior in behalf of one of those kids, go out into the lobby, down the hallway, right before you get to the double doors, there's a 
there's a, uh, a bulletin board on the left side. It's right there by Ian's office, and he has a list of all of the kids and all of the sponsors who have gone to CIY this week, and there's a place where you can sign your name, and you can be a prayer warrior for one of those kids or sponsors. And I want to encourage you to do that. And if, if the list gets signed up right away, which I hope it does, let's have two or three or four people praying for each and every kid and sponsor that God would move in their lives this week. I bet Dan could give a testimony of what CIY did in his life through the years of, of going and, and, and God moving in his heart. A lot of you could too. Some of you have have grown up in the youth group and and you've gone and you know what can happen. Let's pray for those kids fervently. Prayer makes a difference. What if we prayed for this church with fervency? What if we prayed for this church with fervency? Lord, bless Community Christian Church. Lord, would you move through your spirit in this church? Would you help our preacher? Would you help our our youth group? Would you help? If we prayed with fervency for this church, I think it would make a difference. What if we prayed for lost souls with fervency? What if we prayed for our town with fervency? fervency? What if we prayed with as much fervency for the LGBT movement to find Jesus as what they have fervency in fighting for their cause? Prayer makes a difference. We've just got to care enough to pray. Let me read to you verses 6 through 10. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the doors were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And an angel, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on the, your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what, that what was being done by the angel was real, but, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Keep in mind, this is the second time that Peter has been released from prison by an angel. The first time was in Acts 5. Nothing is impossible with God. But before the impossible was done, the church was asking God fervently for the impossible to be done. Look at verses 11 and 12. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people 
uh, of what they were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now, now note from that text, not just a few were gathered together praying. The text says many were gathered there praying. Now, here's the funny part. Verses 13 through 16. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. (laughs) Even they couldn't believe their own prayers had been answered. Are you ever there? You pray about something, and then when the prayer happens, actually is answered, you're going, oh, man, man, am I lucky. (laughs) Boy, I'm lucky. This is my lucky day. What a stroke of good luck. Wow, what coincidence. No. Don't, let's not respond that way. We pray about something And when God answers the prayer, let's be sure to give him the credit. Amen? I liked Gina's testimony last Sunday. If you were here, John and Gina came up and and they gave testimony of how God had worked mightily in John's life through surgery in Oklahoma City just the week before. And she talked about how the doctor had come out of surgery and he was saying to her, basically, you are one lucky girl. You're lucky to have me as your surgeon. That's what he was saying. He said, uh, it's just your lucky day. Uh, I, I'm the only doctor in this whole clinic that could have done this kind of surgery. And I'm only here once a month. I live out of state. And so it's your lucky time that I was here and I was able to do your your husband's surgery. You remember what Gina said? She's ta- she stopped him right there. She said, hey, hold on, doc. You may think it's luck. I don't think it's luck. I think it's an act of God. That's, that needs to be our mindset. That when we pray about something and God answers that prayer that we give him the credit. And that was a great testimony for Gina to make to that doctor. Prayer leaves us amazed a lot of the time. I heard Dan use the word amazed several times. It is amazing that God would use us because we're weak. I mean, who are we? That he would use us, and yet that's what he chooses to do. He is an amazing God, and oftentimes he will amaze us. Chapter 12. Peter, as as this chapter starts, Peter is in prison, and his head was soon to be on the chopping block, 
but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And soon thereafter, Peter was walking out of prison, being led by an angel. Would you say it with me here? I have it on the screen. Uh, Prayer makes a difference. I think we have that. Would you say that with me? Prayer makes a difference. Let's say it one more time together. Prayer makes a difference. And if we could just go away with that truth in our mind today. Prayer makes a difference. Fervent prayer makes a difference. Earnest prayer makes a difference. Unceasing prayer makes a difference. And by the way, if you read on to the end of chapter 12, you will see a great irony. It was not Peter who died. Rather, it was Herod who died. Because Herod failed to give God the glory that he deserved, and so God struck him down. Could could I just challenge you today to be a person of prayer, fervent prayer? Will you help this church be a praying church by choosing to be a praying person yourself? I wonder how he might amaze us in the days ahead if indeed we will become a praying church. What might he do in this town? Who might he help us to reach? What miracles of healing would we see? What lives, what new testimonies could we hear of lives that have been changed because our prayers have been fervent and made a difference? Let's pray together. God, would you lay it on our heart to be serious about prayer? To know that you are the God of gods. You are the Lord of this universe. And you you invite us to ask great and mighty things of you. So help us, Lord, to reach that point in our life where it becomes the natural thing for us to do. Is to pray. To have faith. That there is nothing that is impossible for you. And when you choose to do differently than what we ask, Lord, then help us to have the faith to say, okay, we accept, we trust, we will follow. We pray this in Jesus' name.